0: Check them out online at thoriumwealth.com for more information and full disclosures. We're also brought to you tonight by the good people over at Second String Sports. You can check them out online at secondstringsports.com. That's second with a two. Our thanks to them for their support of the show. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Coming to you live from the place where Franklin States in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, February the 12th. Cavaliers are coming off of a, um, I don't want to call it a nice win. It's a win. It's a thing that happened. Um, a 50-49 to 49 overtime victory over uh, the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Uh, a three to two advantage in overtime, um, which I've literally never seen. Uh, we will talk about that. We will also talk about some things on the football side as well. Before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. We'll start up in Fishersville. David Spence is back on the show. How are you, my friend?
1: Uh, I'm on the struggle bus from staying up late. <laughs> Old man can't handle nine PM tips. Um, I think that was our first nine PM temp since uh, since a title game, right?
0: It was. It was the first one this season. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I mean, first one since title game, I was much and much more enthusiastic at the end. Uh, Who days on the board at Who days on Twitter?
0: And up in and staff writer Justin Ferber is also on this year program. How's it going, man?
2: I'm I'm good. Um, it was an interesting week. A uh, lot of points were scored on Saturday. Not very many points were scored on Tuesday. So I'm sure we'll get into that. I don't really have anything else. I, I got nothing. <laughs> Add <laughs> Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter And
0: Cavs Corner also on Twitter Cavs underscore Corner Great place for the in-game updates Content items and the occasional uh, Woody banter Alright, so last night I mean, look I don't want to dive too much into it I, I want to I have a conversation around it <laughs> If that makes any sense I, Look, it was not a very pretty basketball game um, And I think that's being kind um, I thought This is going to sound like such a weird left-handed compliment And I'm going to apologize in advance I thought both teams really played hard <laughs> um but i don't mean that condescendingly i genuinely mean like i thought this was a game where either one of those teams um needed like two good things to happen and they would have gotten on a roll and the fact that the other one was able to either benefit from the fact that, that they couldn't execute or to keep that execution from happening um i thought i mean look i'm i guess i like basketball a lot cuz i i enjoyed it i i know that there's a lot of you out there that didn't, and that's fair. and probably my two co-hosts on this here program did not, and that's fine too. Uh, I genuinely thought it was it was fun, um, especially once you got to uh, the whole fouling when they're um, you know um, so far below the limit. That's just one of those situations that you rarely see. Um, and it was cool to see it kind of play out the exact way it's supposed to. Um, and, and they still got an open look for three Which I thought was hysterical But anyway, so Virginia comes out of that game Sole possession of fourth place Double bye is theirs, at least for now Cavaliers will get ready to go to Chapel Hill On Saturday evening To face uh, what Mamadi Diakite If you check out the video I posted um, Called a wounded animal And I can't tell you if he meant The next sentence when he said They're lost Or they lost but he said one of those two things, and neither one of them – well, one of them is a little worse than the other one. So clearly Virginia understands the, the situation that faces them in the Dean Dome. All right, Dave, we'll start with you. You were on the struggle bus because you stayed up late. Um, yeah. What uh, – uh, how, how do you want to start this? I mean, I guess we should say thank you. <laughs> this is Valentine's week, right? Let's, we should send like this one big hulking like Valentine to the ACC for giving us that game at 9 o'clock. Um, thank you very much for that to the league and uh, its TV partner. What did you think? Um, I don't know. I don't want to ask that question. How do you feel <laughs> going forward? Let's 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 look forward. How do you feel oh about this God, thing? Go
1: back to
0: the last question. <laughs> <laughs> Just mean like I, listen. Here's the funny part, and you you actually hit on this right. Like I saw your you had a tweet about this. Like yeah, they played like Not crap. Easy. They go they they basically it's like three to two in overtime, and yet they're in fourth place, and they're going to Chapel Hill, and like I don't know. Looking like they might yeah. make the NCAA tournament, like it's just a very bizarre sort of situation, right?
1: Yeah, I mean the whole the whole season's been bizarre. Um, maybe that's because I've never had a season as a fan, like as reigning champs. But um, I mean, this team, if anything, like if you think about everything we've talked about as the season's gone on, like you know they need to cut down on turnovers. They they need to shoot better. Like last night, they didn't turn a ball over and they couldn't shoot. Um, Louisville, they didn't turn it over and they couldn't miss. So. If any, the only consistent part of this team, not to be all, you know, um, cheeky, but (laughs) the only consistent thing with this team is their inconsistency. Like, that's just the way it is. Um, You know, last night their defense I thought was really, really good, but the offense looked like it was going to get going there for, you know, a brief moment. Um, You know, when Waldo hit his first couple of shots, it looked like maybe he'd get it rolling. Um, then you had the little Jay Huff spurt, but everything in between was kind of painful and, and, um, you know, tedious, uh, except for, you know, Momadi kind of got it going. And to me, he had been struggling the last few games. So that was good to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, going forward, I mean, I expect we're going to see what we see. It's, you know, some nights these guys are going to hit shots and and be able to score with other people and other nights, no one's going to be able to hit a shot. and You got to rely on your defense. Um. I mean, last night it looked like the shooting was contagious because I hadn't seen Notre Dame shoot the ball that poorly any time I watched them this year. You know, a lot of of that's the defense, but at some point, like, you know, watching the ball clink off missed shots, it's got to be psychological even on the opponent at points. Um, Going back to Saturday's game, though, like I kept saying in all the podcasts, like eventually this team, a few guys are going to have a good night together and they could beat anyone. Well, they had that good night, but so did Louisville. So I guess they could also all get it going and still lose, so. I don't know. I mean, overall, you know, the thing they needed to do this week was go one and one, uh, you know, to stay relevant on the in the NCAA discussion. And they did it and they got some help from NC State last night to keep them a game clear. You know, if I remember correctly, it's the only time they've been a full game up in fourth, every other time they've either been Todd or a half game up. So it's a testament to that coach. He gets paid good money.
0: It's funny you said that at the end because that was actually – I'm going to let Ferber basically evis- eviscerate everything. <laughs> then I was going to come back to it. But, like, I, it's a spoiler alert, like, listen, I, I don't want anything we're saying to come across as, like, um, I don't know, degrading or whatever. To, like, the, kid, the the dudes, are, are they're playing their butts off, and, like, they're doing the best they can. That's just the reality of this team and the, the talent that is assembled, and that's okay. Like, I think – we're way, like, we crossed the bridge a while back, but I, I, I want to be clear about that. Like, I'm not banging on dudes and saying, like, hey, you're this and that. Like, I understand dudes are giving it what they got. And um, at the same time, I think it's very fair to say that it's remarkable that Virginia is where Virginia is right now. Like, they keep doing this thing where they will have like five or six turnovers more than their, their opponent, and yet they basically give up the same amount of points off turnovers. Now, we talked about this before, right? The idea that like when you play Virginia style and you're that inefficient, you're just putting so much more pressure on yourself that you can't lose those possessions. And so even if the other team's not, quote-unquote, scoring off your turnovers, the fact that you're not scoring when you turn it over hurts you. It's almost the exception that sort of proves Virginia style works in a way. Um, and why last year and you know the year before they were so good. Right. It's because when they are, when you play what they do and do it well and you're efficient, like you're incredibly tough to beat. This team still manages more often than not to beat in games. And it's not just because of their defense. It's, it's like there's this weird, I don't know. It's almost like weird voodoo. I mean, some of that's got to go to Bennett. I mean, he's not doing anything this season. I mean, they, they seem to have slowed up a little bit on the whole like, you know, get out and run thing that seems to not, since World of Tinsai went nuclear, um, or, you know, realize that he might be able to shoot a little bit at least They seem to have gone to more sets A lot less just ball screen stuff um, You know, I think I, I saw him run sides a little bit last night But overall, like, how they are continuing to do this I mean, you can point to, like, four different things None of it's consistent The only consistent thing is, is Tony um, So, no, all right, Ferber have the, the floor is yours Share whatever you got for the people
2: Um, yeah, I mean, really, I don't think the story has changed a whole lot from from the last time we talked or the time before that. You know, I thought I wanted to talk a little bit about what happened on Saturday, because I think what people wanted to think was that maybe it was a sign of things to come, that sort of thing. I think they shot the ball at a clip that is pretty much can't be replicated. Uh, I mean, maybe they could do it one more time. Maybe two more times, like, you know, out, you know, outliers happen. Um, but that's what it is. It was an outlier performance, a good one. I mean, they really played really hard in that game and, and and knew that they, I think they knew at halftime they needed a really, really good offensive performance in the second half to be able to to hang in the game. I think they were down 14 or whatever it was. And, and they did it. And, and you know, kudos to them, and especially de Tensai for getting hot like that. But, I mean, that dude, he's not going to score 27 points very regularly so you can't expect that level of performance out of him but if he can knock down a few shots here and there I mean that can be the difference in a game uh but yeah I mean last night's game was was pretty ugly um I compared it to watching a high school game at times just like watching teams struggle to score uh I think a big part of the the teams that struggle against UVA's defense I think a lot of it is the offense or the defense for UVA obviously shutting down offenses but also I think UVA's defense knows that they have to win games like this. So, you're, I guess, I just, you're just like less likely to take a possession off. Um, you know, you have to value every defensive possession, maybe more so than you did when you had guys that could shoot you back into games if you started off kind of sloppy. This year, I mean, every stop is absolutely critical. In um, last night's game, I mean, you know, one less stop, they probably would have lost the game. Uh, you know, it just, it, it, the margin of error is razor thin and, you know, it, it really is going to come down to the little things all year long. Um, free throw shooting, turnovers, can you get stops late in games? And I think that's been part of their problem late in games is just, um, you know, they, they've, I forget, I think the stat was, they led in you know, 11 of 12 of their ACC games or 12 of 13 in the last three minutes, which is pretty crazy. Um, but I think a big part of that is because the reason that they've lost those leads is because they just haven't been able to get a bucket when they need it. And the other team eventually can break through and get one. Um, and then those other teams also are really trying hard on the defensive end late in games where their effort might not be like that throughout the game. So it's harder to get a bucket it's, and it may be harder to to stop somebody from getting one too. Um, but I mean, I, I thought they, they did okay last night. It's a result. They definitely could have gone the other way um but you know it's it's over now they won the game and, and you move on to the next one and you just hope you can kind of pick up where you were left off and keep winning games
1: they won the game <laughs> that three minutes that <laughs> sorry yeah that three minutes that is just mind-boggling to me you know? yeah yeah because we, we talked about this team and we've seen them play and you, you look at times you look like you know how you know how can they be this bad given some of the talent on the team um but the fact that you know, yeah, it's, it's every game but one they, they led in the final three minutes. And the one they didn't lead, they won. Um, um, yeah, some crazy at 3.13 to go or something like that. So it's a weird stat. But I mean, there's some good teams they've been in there with. Uh, and then Louisville, like, look, Louisville down 14 at the half on the road, and Louisville was hitting everything they threw up for the first part of that game. Um, you know, and, and you weren't playing a lot of guys. You're playing a pretty short bench and they were playing lots of minutes. So for them to kind of gut it out and, and take the lead late in that game was crazy. Um, and I don't know what that is. I mean, I don't, you know, it, it's culture. It's, you know, it's, it's value in defense and it's look, um, I mean, I think you're right, Brad. I mean, it sounds like times were like saying this team is terrible. I think maybe we're all guilty of comparing it to the elite squads we've seen the last couple of years, but um, I mean, if you listen to Tony, even after the worst games, like he's never rattled. He's just, it's the same principles, right? Like that's what you go back to. You take care of the ball, you you take good shots, and you know, you play hard on defense. Like those things will always be there. He doesn't say you gotta make more shots. He said you just gotta keep taking the good shots. It'll <laughs> eventually happen. That's a good point. A um, good point. <laughs> at the times you see that. So I mean I think if you look at one thing the last few games, I will say for the most part, our shot selection seems to be better. We're screening better, we're getting more open looks. They're not necessarily hitting them. You know, you don't see the extended periods like where they're just getting terrible shot after terrible shot um, that we saw earlier in the year.
0: Yeah, I think they're they're missing poorly. Right. You know, bi- missing badly. Right. Shooting poorly. But you definitely get the sense or I get the sense at least that they are they're taking like I've, I feel like there was more confidence. Right. Like, for example, Woldetton's I didn't have his fastball last night. That that was very evident, um, and I apologize for tweeting that I expect everything to go in because literally from the time I t- tweeted it, he, everything the wheels came off. Um, hashtag never tweet. Um, but he still would catch and move with he with this. He was decisive. You know what I mean? Like, and they definitely had some moments where they played hot potato. I'm not trying to like you know gloss over that. I just think that as the game wore on, I thought I saw a team that seemed. Even if they're not executing well, they understand what they're supposed to be doing, and we can't say the same thing for earlier in the season. And again, Dave's point about you know comparing it to the elite teams—I think that's that's one obvious, two understandable, three unavoidable. Like I don't think that there's a way for us to talk about this team without saying, without juxtaposing it against like the way it was, right? Um, for example, Virginia teams have always had these weird droughts, right? Where you know it'd be a ha- you know three, four minutes. Virginia now can like hold the other team without a field goal for like six minutes and only be leading by a point. Um, they do this fairly regularly. You look at the shooting numbers in this game, right? So Virginia goes 19 of 51 in this game. That's 37.3%. They're five of twenty, which is twenty-five percent from deep, right? That sounds awful. Until you consider that Notre Dame was 32.8% for the floor and 23.1 from the from the from the arc. Like, that's a team that that like Mike Bray said, like, they gotta make 10 threes at least a night in order to have a chance to win. That's a team that prides itself on its out on its offense, on its action, and they they couldn't solve it. And i mean it's the there's like a whole bunch of factors right college basketball as a whole is completely whack right the acc is just a big bucket of yuck in a lot of ways right you just got all these teams that are just basically the same who knows who's good nobody's good night to night it seems like anybody can be beaten um think about all the number one teams that have lost you know the season and, and the weirdness of the rankings and whatnot but virginia's I don't want, you know the old the old adage of you know defense travels it's like it is the one thing that that they are always going to be which is Tony's not going to play you if you're not playing well defensively and he will he will sit you like that's just the reality and he will keep working that thing until he gets the right mix and the I think that's one thing that in a year of where the only thing that is consistent is their inconsistency the fact that they know they can count on that especially given how much craziness there is around them, like, that matters. And, I mean, I watch this team, and I'm like, any other year, this team would not be anywhere close to the bubble, right? Because other teams would be bludgeoning them. Uh, If you run good stuff on both ends of the floor, you can give Virginia fits. Um, And very few teams are going to do that, apparently. And you look at the schedule the rest of the way, right? So they get Carolina on Saturday in a game they absolutely have to win because that Carolina team is is really – I mean, like, I don't know if they're broken at this point or what, but they're bad. Then they're going to come what? As I reach over for my schedule. They get Boston College at home uh, next Wednesday. Then they go to Pittsburgh, to Blacksburg. They get Duke at home, and they close out in Coral Gables and then in with Louisville at home. Like, if they if – they, I feel like if they win one of Duke and Louisville, your inclination is to say, like, they're in. But then you can't – you can't assume that they're going to go to – the Peterson Event Center or to, or to Castle and win, like, who knows what they're gonna do? And that's one of the frustrations that I think a lot of people are just, un, it's one of those things like people are just unable to like process that and do anything with it. Like, it just sits there. It's just this weird frustration that is just always around. And I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like, expect the unexpected seems like simplistic, but it's, I don't know. What are you supposed to do otherwise? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you're doing. I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, look at me. I think you know. There's some guys that are, that are playing well, and guys guys who aren't. It's just what this team is. Um, I mean, they've got some winnable games down down the uh, down the stretch. If if they play to their potential, they they should get into the tournament. But I could also see them, like you know, Carolina is one of those teams where if you don't kind of you know, if you let them hang around and get some confidence, then they're a problem. Um, you know, Duke did that, and, you know, Wake Forest didn't. So, you know, it, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the year plays out because, it. you know, the other thing you have to, that I keep harking back to is just the number of minutes that Kihei is playing. Like, you know, he's still got seven ACC games left, and that dude's averaging like 38 minutes a game. Um, and I think you're seeing Casey uh, Marcel's starting to hit that kind of freshman wall right now um you know he's he's struggling a little more than he was earlier in the year obviously his offense has struggled all year but you're starting to see him not be as good off like not necessarily on the ball defensively but covering for teammates um and then you know you look at jay up until that eight minutes you know that eight point stretch last night he had gone like three games with like three field goal attempts. And I think a lot of that's just because he's trying so hard on defense. He doesn't have those legs that he you know, that he used to have when he came in for 10 minutes a game last year. So it, look, they're eight and five. It's if you'd have told us like three weeks ago, they'd be eight and five and fourth in the ACC. We probably would have taken it based on what we've seen, uh, what we'd seen at that point. So, you know, you, you just hope that they keep doing what they're doing and stay healthy.
0: Hi, right, Ferber. Um you're
1: I think he fell asleep
0: yeah he's yeah he he left the podcast ferber has no. exited the conversation i'm
2: just I'm just waiting my turn
0: <laughs> so here's my question to you, but let's talk bubble, all right uh, obviously, a whole lot of games to play, and I'm not gonna ask you to tell me unequivocally you know this or that what's what's it gonna what's it gonna have to look like for Virginia to get into the tournament
2: uh all right, so there's sixteen and seven. Uh, 8-5 and in the ACC, right? So you just went through what they have left. Um, At this point, based on what they've done, even in a loss to Louisville because it helped their numbers a little bit, uh, I think at this point, if they just took care of business against all the teams that they should beat, they're probably going to get in the field. So that would be North Carolina, Boston College, Pittsburgh, Virginia Tech, and maybe you could lose one of those. If you can beat Louisville or Duke at the end of the season, and Miami, I forgot Miami. Um, everybody forgets them. Uh, Louisville or Duke at the end of the season would be a huge cherry on top and would probably get you in and maybe could make up for one of those, you know, if you lose one of those other games. Uh, I think a win in, uh, you know, if you take care of business and then win one at Greensboro, you're probably safely in the field. Um, obviously, it's not just the getting in or getting not getting in. It's also degrees of that. So, I mean... I think it would be, you know, obviously you don't want to go to Dayton if you don't have to. So, I mean, obviously you take Dayton over the NIT, but, you know, you want to try to play yourself into those, you know, last buy spots. And right now, you know, playing in a power league, if they have a better chance in some of their competition on the bubble, um, they just kind of got to get out of their own way and not have any bad losses. And really, if you look at what they've done this season, they have some not so good losses, but the only really bad one was probably boston college the nc state one at the time was kind of disappointing because they had just broken their losing streak but that's not that bad of a loss it's kind of a bummer that it was at home um and and, you know maybe if you can if you can steal one against louisville or duke like i said then then you're probably in good shape but it starts with just taking care of business against the north carolinas and the boston colleges wait 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 here's
0: a sentence you never thought you would say (laughs) okay There's a sentence that you never thought you would say. you got to take care of business against the North Carolinas and the Boston Colleges. What yeah. in the actual <laughs> heck is that? But he, but it's true. All right, go ahead, Dave. What were you going to say?
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that because what we're seeing Carolina go through now, like we as Virginia fans who are struggling with this season should be thankful we're not struggling like that. Um, that. Um, now, I was going to say, like, I, I find it hard to believe, or I was going to ask Justin. Um, so we're 8-5 and five in the ACC right now. I find it hard to believe Virginia wouldn't make Tennessee to tournament tournament if they finish the ACC regular season twelve and eight. Unless, yeah, they, that,
2: they'd probably be in.
1: Yeah, which means four wins, and you listed the four they can get, and then honestly, twelve and eight probably almost guarantees them a four c because you know State and Syracuse are both seven and six right now, so those guys would have to go six and one down the stretch, and no one's going six and one in this ACC right now. Let's say it gets super hot, or Louis- or, or Louisville or Duke. Um, so Virginia's in good shape, I think, if they can win four, you know, four of the next seven. Um, yeah. Which is kind of I mean, crazy.
2: I mean, not that long ago, we were kind of, the number that I, I know I was looking at was 10 and 10. Um, yeah. Just as like a record that I thought they might end up with. And that was one where I was like, eh, that's going to depend on who you beat. If they get to 12 wins, they're probably in. I also want to caution people about that because people always get caught up in the, how could they leave a... You know, I, I remember back when it was sixteen games. How could they leave a ten and six ACC team out? Conference affiliation does not matter. It has no yeah. impact on on who gets <laughs> Especially in. Especially this year, um, <laughs> they don't wait that. They don't say like, oh, this is an ACC team and put them in. Um, you know, their ten wins are more than these other this. You know, the resume of another team. Um, so if for some reason they went like eleven and nine and got left out. Uh, that's not that you can't say, like, oh, you can't leave a, you know, a, this year especially, but, you know, that's that's not a reason that teams get left out, or it's not part of the criteria. Um, yeah,
1: I was going to use yeah, as As, as a, far as, as, as what you joke. said,
2: I mean, I'm looking at Syracuse's schedule right now. They Their next two games are at Florida State, at Louisville. Like, yeah. I don't think Best they're K's winning either of those. So, okay. I mean, right there, you're at eight losses. So, I think 12-8 is probably the magic number to get to – uh, the double buy and, and while the double buy helps you you know for seeding in the ACC tournament um, you still have to try to beat I mean there were that 2013 UVA team was a double buy four seed and lost to I believe it was NC State the five seed um, and you know that that double buy did them no good um, because they didn't even get to get another win against the 12 seed the round before that so we'll see how it plays out also looking at NC State schedule they have Duke twice. Um and Florida State. So, I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't think that they're likely to end up in the top four either, unless yeah, unless Virginia has some sort of a collapse.
1: Exactly. The reason I think 12 is probably a safe number for them is that means they don't lose, they either don't lose anyone bad, or they beat Duke or Louisville to, to get to 12. So that probably helps clean up the resume. Um, but the caveat being, like we said all along, like if you have, if all these tournaments – Conference tournament automatic bids go to crazy teams, you know. It's not out of the realm of possibility. The ECC only sends three teams to the tournament.
0: Yeah, true that. All right. Anything else on the basketball front before we switch gears? Hearing that, okay. Um, All right. So news began to break. Actually, let me preface this entire conversation we're about to have with a caveat that says it is currently, uh, as we record this, nine thirteen p.m. on the East Coast, uh, day of our Lord. February twelfth, um, nothing official has been, I guess, put out there uh, on this. So if there is some weird, you know, reversal of some description, um, it's not our fault. We're under the impression, and given all the people I've talked to today, it, it certainly sounds like everything is happening. That Vic Sooto is going to be the next defensive line coach at USC, which means that there's a opening of Virginia's staff. How the Cavaliers go about filling that, um, we will get into in a moment, I'm sure. But I thought it would be, um, I, I mean, I didn't want to ignore it. I didn't think that was um, that was right. Obviously, to me, the biggest thing is you're losing arguably your best recruiter. In um, Soto has been as productive as anybody on the staff since he arrived on grounds in terms of, you know, not. I mean, look, he got he got Juwan Briggs when literally nobody in the recruiting world expected Virginia to, 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 to get that one. He held on to Ben Smiley. You know, he's done a lot of heavy lifting um, over the last few years. And, you know, I, I think defensive line coaches, you know, depending on who you talk to and what the situation is, you know, maybe varying degrees of, you know, um, how much, you know, they impact the day-to-day or the game-to-game. But in terms of recruiting, there's just no way around Soto's – impact and I think he's been I mean I've heard Andrew Brown say enough about him um, you know saving his career essentially that I, I think he's he's pretty good on the on the on the development side as well so that's a lot for Virginia to, to have to um, you know have to fill the void for and I just think that as this thing's you know becomes official and, and whatnot it felt like it was a good conversation for us to have. Dave, I'm going to go to you first. What's um, your immediate reactions and 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 stuff? I mean, obviously, we were texting about it today, but what's your your general sense now? Several hours removed, um, how how do you sort of view this whole situation?
1: I don't like it, Brad. I don't like it one bit. <laughs> um, look, you know, it's I mean, it kind of hit me. I mean, I when the when the smoke started getting out there that you might have interviewed for the position my first reaction was like, why would he go to USC? Because, you know, Clay Helton is going to need a miracle to have a job next year. Um, obviously, like, you know, he, Vic is from out there a couple hours away from LA. But, you know, Soto had a offer to play football at USC and chose to go to BYU to to play. He got recruited by an I and Bronco. He was their first recruit um, at BYU. He turned down USC to go there. And then, you know, after the, NFL didn't work out for him. He got a GA position at, you know, with Bronco. Um, his wife was Bronco's assistant at BYU and then they followed him across the country where he was a GA when he got here. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he's only been a coach since 2017. He was a GA prior to that. So, um, so the whole thing kind of struck me as surprising, uh, just given like how tight the staff is and the fact they all moved across the country. And when you tie in, like how, how much Vic's – where Vic is kind of has to do with Bronco and, and the guys. That's a little – you know, it, it's not one I saw coming. Now, all that said, like, you know, he's – we know him as a great recruiter, and we've talked about him quite a bit. Um, and I know several times over the over the past couple of years we've talked about how, you know, the 3-4 with – like the detriment to the 3-4 when Al Gro was here was they couldn't recruit. Defensive linemen consistently. And every year, Vic has helped bring in, you know, he's been the lead recruit almost every defensive lineman they've brought in. Um, and we keep, you know, if you look at what's in the system, you know, what's on the roster now coming in and, um, you know, with Milani coming late, like a lot of really good pieces there to kind of keep the depth going there for moving forward. So, yeah, I, mean, I think it affects the staff greatly short term, uh, how they address replacing them, you know, should everything go the way it seems to be going that's going to determine a lot, but it's a big loss. Cause to me, like he was the energetic, energetic dude. Um, I mean, who's going to, I guess Charles Mack's going to have to wear the uniforms for the poster now instead of Vic, but um, <laughs> I mean, they've, they've switched just, to real players now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, um, you know, they always joke about having like, you know, they always joke about how football teams have the front of the bus guys who don't necessarily play, but look like huge dudes. Like Vic was the front of the front of the bus coach. Like, you know, he just, he looked cool. He, he was big, like, and his energy on the sidelines was noticeable no matter where you were in the stadium. So, I mean, I think it's a big loss. Um, yeah, I mean, a young, energetic staff member—you uh, know—that I think recruits connected with well—that's going to be important for Virginia to replace. And it's also, to me, it's also how does it, how does UVA fix it while not kind of putting a tarnish on the family thing that they push so hard. So it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks.
0: Yeah. I think it's worth discussing uh, kind of the idea. Like, I, I, listen, I, I have not talked to Vic about this, but I, in my conversations with him at various points throughout his tenure at UVA, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that he attributes a lot of his opportunities to Bronco and Bronco's sort of belief in him and Bronco's um, example. And, and the, the idea of family really does resonate. I think that this is not like He's not going to Oklahoma No point that, That's not No shade at um, um, Oh gosh Why can't I think of his name um, Ruffin There yeah. you go With with <laughs> Ruffin um, He's not going to Oklahoma He's not going to Alabama You know what I'm saying He's not going to LSU like, He's going home I mean he's from Carlsbad he, This is a guy who You know has family He's connected um, Out there The The opportunity f- I would imagine as somebody who played in the league and wants probably to coach in the league, you know, I, we, we talked a little about this today. Like there's, there is a sense of all the other guys on Broncos staff just feel like college guys, right? Like they, they are doing what they want to do and they're where they want to be doing it with the people they want to do it with. Um, I, I wonder if Vic wants to get back to the league, if this is not a real smart move for him. Like I know for a lot of people, the idea that like, Oh, you know, Helton doesn't have a lot of job security. That's a, you know that's a fair point i i, I think that in some ways it kind of in terms of vic probably doesn't matter cuz it's probably not going to stick to him um as i said earlier today i just feel like you know he's a guy who probably wants to diversify his his coaching experience and having played for or excuse me having coached with one head coach one system um is not always the best way to go about, you know, getting yourself somewhere else. Um, Ferber, in in our conversations today, it certainly seemed like, I don't want to say you were, um, you know, sounding the alarms about how big of a deal this is, but you certainly felt like this was a big deal. Uh, I think Dave laid it out pretty well there. W- what do you think Virginia should do now? If if this thing goes down the way we all think it's going to go down, and, and, and he is, in fact, going to be the... Uh, the new defensive line coach at USC. What should Virginia do next? What, what's your. If you had your druthers, what would they do? And don't say bring back Jappy Oliver. Okay. Don't. don't say
2: <laughs> Oliver. I'm going to ju- br- I'm a steal the joke now. Time to bring him home. Um, <laughs> not, not, a lot of people probably don't even remember who that is. Um, but yeah, I think people forget this is a big part of Bronco's job responsibilities. And he would probably be one of the first people to say that as a person that is so into organizational management philosophy. Uh, You have to surround yourself with the best people or people that fit your system, some version of that. Right? So I completely understand and respect his approach that he will only work with people he likes. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean that you can't meet someone and then like them. Like, so I don't think that you can just rule out the idea of them trying to go out and, and get someone from the outside because I think not at least doing your due diligence in that regard, unless you have somebody perfect in mind, is irresponsible. And I don't think he would do it that way. Um, I mean, for example, he has two coaches on his staff right now that he didn't previously have on his staff. He, there were connections uh, to Ricky Brunfield, but not really. I mean, he had to bring him in, and he liked what he heard, I'm assuming, and then he hired him right and it's working out pretty well um and then you have Higgins who was a guy that was at UVA and the UVA I'm sure the UVA administration was like hey you should probably talk to this guy um or at least you know see if you want to keep him around he met with him and he he decided hey this guy seems like he understands what we're about let's keep him right mm-hmm. you can do that with coaches from the outside so you bring them in, you you evaluate them, you evaluate their work, you evaluate what they're about, everything else you need to know about them, and, and then you make the decision. If that means that you need to hire a graduate assistant because Bronco likes to go that route because you feel like they understand the culture good, well and and uh, and are a good fit, and you feel like you, you've seen their coaching ability up close, and you think, hey, this person's ready for a promotion, which is how a lot of jobs are are handed out in all sorts of business, that's perfectly fine. Um, if you think that means you, you don't have a person that directly fits what you're trying to do, but you want to say, Hey, let's see what's out there. Then yeah, by all means bring people in and try to get the best person. Um, I think it's unwise to, to only set, uh, you know, surround yourself with people that you're friends with. And I'm not saying that he's done that. Um, and, and I can't argue with the success so far. So I don't think you just go out and hire the most experienced guy either. But if you could, you know, find somebody that's had some success, particularly on the recruiting trail, because while their recruiting isn't terrible, like some people think it is, it's not as good as it could be, right? So and especially losing one of your most dynamic recruiters, I think that is a factor. And I think that that needs to be considered, especially since, like we were talking about earlier, often defensive line coaches are among the best recruiters on staffs. Um, I think part of that is just, Naturally, through the motivation of that position, they are guys that are very rah-rah and and um, motivational-focused, and I think that that plays well in living rooms and, and with players, and they develop bonds with the players, um, and and I, I'm interested to see what they do. I don't have a name in mind, really, but I think that they should do their due diligence, and I'm, I'm I trust—and that's the biggest part of this— no matter what he does, I do trust Bronco to do the right thing and hire the person he thinks is best and somebody that will do a good job. So at the end of the day, while it is a loss, um, without a doubt, especially on the recruiting trail and just around the building and the energy uh, that he brought, I, I'm i not freaking out about it because I think that Bronco is capable of finding somebody else that's good.
0: Yeah, I think you guys make some really good points there. I think there is this, this idea, this feeling, this sort of um... – you know, conventional wisdom, so to speak, that it's going to be somebody who he's coached with. I think that was my first inclination, right, is to start researching who who he's worked with and where and, and, and how long and that kind of thing. Um, I, I do think that his his comments about, you know, he won't he won't work with anybody he doesn't like, um, you know, he doesn't know the recruits he likes until he meets them. Right. So, I mean, it's kind of a similar idea, right? Like you might not know this kid from this high school that you've never recruited before. You only know him from from his film and then you get to know him and you realize like, oh, OK, I really would, you know, I'd like to um, to do life with this kid. You know, I want him as part of my program. Um, that, that same thing can actually, you know, obviously happen with coaches. The difference to me in this is... Um, What are you looking for Right So there We've seen Bronco be creative In the past Before they got the 10th assistant Obviously um, Vic himself was a grad assistant um, Who for all intents purposes Was coaching the defensive line Before it was You know That was the thing Um, Before they got the extra assistant Kelly Papinga was also doing um, You know He was technically The special teams coordinator But you know Drew Meyer was basically The special teams coordinator um, Until they got Ricky Brumfield Right Like Bronco has shown in the past like he'll be creative in terms of how the, the thing works out. Now, in talking to different people and, and certainly our conversations today, you know, we've tossed names around. I, I don't think it's in our best interest on this show to to start wildly speculating because nobody has said to me, hey, I think, you know, I think uh, that X might be a thing or or uh, I, I hear that, you know, so and so is, is going to interview like that. I think those conversations are way too premature right now. So I don't want to toss out specific names, but I do think that there is a profile that you're kind of looking for for this position and it kind of fits what Vic was. So whether it's a former player who has some experience or whether it's a uh, whether that's a former player Broncos, a former player UVA or some, you know, some sort of Virginia connection. I think that is the thing that if if we're if we're thinking about ways that Bronco could change course a little bit, not just in terms of adding someone he hasn't coached with previously, but having somebody with some Virginia connections would would probably or some regional connections would probably not be a bad thing. Um, you know, their in-state recruiting has not been um, consistently a, a thing. I, I think that's a fair. You know, I think Bronco would 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 agree with that that they just haven't been able to sign. Uh, a lot of kids in state, even though they have been offering a lot of kids and recruiting a lot of kids in state. Um, I, I think the idea of having somebody with some experience is good, but he's got a couple, you know, GAs on the line. And again, we've we've seen him be, you know, um, unconventional, so to speak, in the past. So I think it is there a, a, a real likelihood that they're, they're going to go out, they're going to find a coach from some other school who's going to now be that, you know, that position coach at UVA. Yes, and that's probably the way it'll go. A long time ago, right, not too long after Bronco started, I I used to joke on on various you know radio shows or on podcasts about how you sometimes you have to leave open like fifteen percent because Bronco likes to go his own way, and this might be one of those. Um, so I, I think as this as the ink dries on wherever this thing goes, I, I honestly I wouldn't be surprised to see much of anything. I mean I, I could totally see a scenario where Bronco decides, okay, I've I've spent two years overseeing this operation, I feel comfortable. With changing my role again and having a more hands on approach, right? Maybe not necessarily in terms of running the defense in the way he did, but maybe coaching the defensive line. Who knows? Like, um, nothing with Bronco will surprise me. Um, He just has a tendency to go his own way. Um, I I don't know if there's a. um, I don't know if there's a. A wrong way to do it I think any pretty much Anything's on the table but I do think that because of Where Virginia is as a program you kind of can't Just you know be like oh You know we're gonna do you know I, I Think it's got to be something that um, That instills a lot of confidence Because I mean Vic is is a presence for Them on the trail What do you think Dave
1: Yeah yeah. I mean I think there's a few Ways you can think about like Without naming players Or, or not, <laughs> I mean naming Potential coaches I think there's a few things you need to a few ways that could go about it but a couple of boxes they have to check like we've already said it like whoever this is you know, whoever they add to the staff needs to be a plus recruiter It'd be great if they had you know if they had Todd's of the state of Virginia but to me like overall just energy and re- a recruiting guy kind of you know Bromfield doesn't have Todd's of Virginia but he's locked us in Louisiana so I don't think you need to be pigeonholed into the state um, but you know, the way Bronco has kind of cross trained his coaches over his career and the way he's used GAs in the past gives him a lot of versatility. I don't think you, you know, I, I believe, you know, in our text read today, we were all kind of went looking for defensive line coaches initially, but there are ways for him not to hire a defensive line coach right now. You know, Shane Hunter's worked with defensive linemen. Uh, Dante Wilkins is, is a GA who is very well respected by the players. And, you know, and I think the other box you've got to check is a coach that's going to help lessen any um, impact of Vic leaving on the current roster, you know, cause there are kids who are really close to, you know, to Soto, you know, include Milani who you just saw who's coming in You know, Briggs was here because of him. You know, Famui and him are really tight uh, Alonzo, Like you got to make sure those guys are happy too. And I mean, I think Wilkins helps with that because they, he was pretty hands-on with them. So I wouldn't be shocked to see him go after go for someone who's, potentially on the offensive side of the ball and just create another position there and shuffle around. And maybe he goes to help with linebackers and moves Hunter down. So there are some options. So I, I don't think we should be surprised by any names we see. Um, but what, what I did notice today is like, you know, when they first, when he first started, we were looking at who he might bring in, especially early. Um, I think it was, it was a lot easier to go back to his time at BYU and find guys, but now he's been in Virginia for like, you know, four plus years. So now I think you got, like, I wouldn't be surprised to see some former players' names pop off. Um, and he's got many more connections than the ACC, and we know he's got close relationships with guys like Cutcliffe and and others. So it may be a name we're not looking at, but I don't think we should all be focused on him just absolutely identifying a defensive line <laughs> guy.
0: That's an interesting point I had not considered, the idea that he's been at UVA long enough now that, like, a lot of that stuff, you know, might dry up a little bit That's interesting Um, for I want to let you have the last word here Um, what's, um I how don't want to phrase this There's a lot of conversation Among college football Observers and fans right now About loyalty And hypocrisy Um Coaches being able to leave And such and such and such Um where do you generally come down on that? I mean, I, I'm certainly not trying to, and I'm going to expressly say I'm not saying or implying that Vic is doing anything that he shouldn't be doing. That there's anything wrong with him taking this job. Again, he, this is he's you know he's from there, and even if he wasn't, if it was Oklahoma, or if it was LSU, or it was Alabama, like people should be. I don't know. I don't want to say celebrated. That's maybe that's not the right connotation, but people, it, it, it should be, you know, okay for folks to, to try to, to do better for themselves. And I think we all, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt us to be, to try to be a little kinder about things, but anyway, um, but this, this is the thing, right? That coaches jump um, coaches, you know, <laughs> coaches stay an extra month so they can get their bonus uh, and then resign the day before signing day. um there's really I guess no way to fix it but I'm just curious what are your thoughts on um, on that whole angle to not just this specific story but in the greater sort of college sports landscape as a whole
2: yeah I mean I think the the part about actually it applies directly to this situation um the one of the worst like consequences or, or parts of this sort of a transaction is that it happened right after signing day, right? So last week you have guys that are committing to play for you, including one in this case that, um, I mean, you got to kind of feel for him uh, in in Nusi Milani, who is from California, um, not that USC was recruiting him, but you know, that's a long way to go for school, you know, that's far, you know, and and obviously they sold him on, a vision and we don't know i mean maybe maybe he's just as excited to go to uva now as he was last week i don't know um and really i mean if you want to talk about like the morality of it or whatever it really comes down to whether or not it was something that he knew he was going to do before signing day and then just was like i'll wait until after signing day to make the move which wouldn't benefit him at all personally um well and the and only too,
0: like when did when was that job open like when like how long could it even not... have been a thing
2: I'm not even sure. I would assume that they reached out to him very recently because the, the usually the school that is pulling the weird stunt with the coach is the one that currently has that coach. So coaches will stay on through signing day, sign a class, and then they'll be like, yeah, this guy's no longer part of the staff, right? It's not like the coach just uh, – there's always a shuffling. and it's, I mean, if you look around the SEC, the last seven days – after signing day, before signing day, th- there's a lot of shuffling, people going from one SEC school to another. Um, it kind of goes back to the original point about, like, why would he take a job with, with a coaching staff that might not be there in a year. At the end of the day, these moves are common. I mean, that this is what happens. It, and it, Also, he will probably get a very significant raise, I would assume. I mean, if you just look at what his contemporaries will be making at schools like that, they're going to be making a lot more than what he makes now at UVA. Um I think the, the the biggest way to fix it or, like, at least do right by the players is just, I mean, in these sorts of situations, if they have a legitimate beef, let the kids out of their letters of intent. Um, position coaches is a little bit different than, like, the D'Antonio situation. Like, that's different. Um, in that case, I feel like almost every kid should be released from their letter of intent. Um, and, and at least free to pursue other opportunities, if not come back to Michigan state, ultimately, um, with this situation, you know, it's like if if there were players in this recruiting class that like the only reason they came to UVA was for a position coach, I would say two things. One that's unfortunate because I mean, it's just unfortunate no matter when the coach leaves that, you know, now you're kind of in a a situation either you don't want to go to or the player, the coach is somewhere where they weren't recruiting you or whatever, Um, And secondly, you shouldn't do that because coaches move all the time. Like you have to, um, and this might sound naive, but as a recruit, I think it's important to uh, pick a coach you like, pick uh, like a a sort of university you like, maybe a playing style, um, but know that only the school will still be there for sure next year, right? Like the, the coaches move all the time. Uh, head coaches move, assistant coaches move. It, it's just part of the game. Like even even if you get to UVA, I mean, there's no guarantee that a year from now he wouldn't have gone somewhere else. So I mean, it, it's it's just one of those things that like you have to know that it's possible. And I would I would hope that players don't make a decision solely based on that. But if they did for some reason, I mean that's when that's when teams should do the right thing and and just let them at least pursue other options or at least try to pitch the school to them in a different way or something like that. But it is a tough situation. It's just part of the job. And, um, I mean, it's not really something you see in pro sports because professionals all kind of know that it's just part of the business. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a shame, but it's one of those things where it's like, there's no clean solution really.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, just
1: to, for the record, they fired that defense. Sorry. (laughs) I was going to say for the record, they fired their defensive line coach on February 2nd.
0: Yeah. So exactly. So, so, I, yeah, like, last, and, last and, Sunday. Right. And typically in these situations, what happens is is they they reach out, and if you say no or whatever, they move on because they want to get it done pretty quick, typically. Um, I think this is one that's been sort of, you know, it's been out there for a little bit. Um, the other thing I'll say real quick before we wrap up um, on this sort of topic, I, I, I think that we all would like to say that, that players should choose their school's for the school, right? We would love to, th- to think that like, oh, you pick Virginia because you want to have a great education. And Bronco and his staff have certainly put the that their message is and, right? You can have good football and good academics. Um, by their own admission, the football is a big piece of it, right? And I think it's probably naive, if I'm being honest, to think that that more than what, maybe Eli handback because he grew up a UVA fan or you know what I mean? Like maybe like somebody like that chose specifically just because of the school but it's always it's not just that there's location there's yeah you know there's the, the way that they see you fitting in there's the program I think that your your lead recruiter it's it's a little bit different here for Virginia because the way that they do it is your lead recruiter is typically also going to be your position coach that's not the way everybody else does it um,
2: granted, exactly yeah it's not they don't do it by tart like area right really. yeah
0: so was, you know so you might you know in the in the old days you might have been you know uh, um you know A 757 kid and you were recruited by mike london but you might have been going to play um you know on offense right that's not the way virginia does it and and there's a there's a balance there right the ying is, is there is that yeah it's it's great that you build these bonds and they're 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 so clearly formidable Um, But then also the Yang is, you know, in in a situation like this. I think that there's nothing wrong with a kid who wants to pick a school for whatever reason that kid wants to pick the school. If it's strictly just playing time, I want to go to the best school I can go to where I'm going to start. If that's the reason that you choose for your own life, cool. I think we have to understand that there are some kids who choose a school in large part because of the safety that they feel, the connection that they feel, and that their position coach or their head coach, you know, are a big part of that. I do understand that it's a tough place to draw a line, you know. Oh, well, are, is, do all the position coach, you know, does every kid get a, a release from the LOI because a position coach change? Because literally, then that's just everybody in NCAA can can transfer, right? Like that's what that is. But I do think that um, there has to be something. In place, and I think that that's something. I mean, we've talked about this, you know, a lot in the past. The idea that, like, essentially, letters of intent are a contract that is really no good for the player. I understand you can save your email. I get it. They get a a, a free education out of it, and I'm not trying to, in any way, shape, or form, make light of that. I'm just saying that, like, the school holds all the cards. The school holds all the power, and the school is the one that. It doesn't help the
2: player at all to sign a letter. No, it doesn't. Don't have to do it. Yeah. And, and ultimately it's symbolic.
0: Yeah. And, and ultimately all it does is it's a, it's a one-way contract and whatever the NCAA can do to make that situation better for the player, I'm always all for. Um, and in this situation, like if, 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 if a signee wanted to come up and say, Hey, listen, you know, they've had a coaching change, you know, whatever. I, I can't, I mean, I can't really argue with it. Like I get it. That being said, I understand like there has to be a rule and that's one of the reasons why, um, you know, I think that it would be good for the NCAA to have a, a specific, you know, to address this in a meaningful, um, sort of, um, sort of way, because right now there is a lot of limbo, and this happens every signing day, every February, for those couple weeks or whatever after signing day. This is what we talk about: coaches move where are the players. I mean, even before you start gearing up for the next class, that's what you talk about. Um, so anyway, we'll we'll wait and see where Virginia goes from here. We will obviously be discussing it as well as a host of other topics as we move forward um if you are somebody who found the podcast through the website thank you very much for giving us a listen if you don't mind look us up on apple Podcasts, sit your spotify overcast wherever it is that you can get your programs and if you're so inclined give us a rating and review it helps to get us out of more in front of more people and we very much appreciate that if you are somebody who has found the pod has not given us a local website yet check us out calvescorner.com Let's see. Um, Right now, I I mentioned that Mommy video. It was so funny because it was supposed to be Jay, and then we were getting Mommy, and then Mommy came in halfway. So I basically have a video of Mommy and Jay Huff, but Jay Huff doesn't actually say anything because I thought it was going to be just Mommy. So that's my bad. Um, Sam Spiegelman, our 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 guy in the boot, has a a good read on uh, three star wide receiver. Um, um, Gosh, I'm blanking on his first name. Um, Tyrese Johnson. Whoa. Uh, who got an UVA offer and he talks about kind of where things are in his recruitment. Um, and then I did write a, I mentioned earlier, we, you know, we were talking about the basketball team and turning the corner and stuff. I did write an article that basically, um, I don't want to say it was made obsolete within, you know, 36 hours, but anyway, give it a look. Um, let's see if you are somebody who needs some gear, um, check out that fanatics link. Um, it is anything that you purchase there, whether it's UVA or otherwise, helps to support the, uh, the website. We very much appreciate that. <sighs> what else? I don't think – I don't know. That sounds that sounds like yeah. it. Um, I want to thank Thorium Wealth and Second String Sports for their support of the show. ThoriumWealth.com, T-H-O-R-I-U-M, ThoriumWealth.com for more information full disclosures. And you can check out what Second String has to offer at SecondStringSports.com, second with a two. Um, I want to thank Edward out there for continuing to support the show. Thank Dave and Ferber for giving graciously of their time. As always, I very much appreciate them. So, for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.